Theatre Conversations with Q. I'm Lucia, Q's Marketing Director, and every week I have a chat with a marketer or entrepreneur from the tech space to get to the bottom of a bunch of things that are probably fascinating you, inspiring you, or downright puzzling you right now. Think how to make decisions about your career, what it actually takes to build a successful startup, marketing tactics you should and shouldn't bother with, the dark side of hustle culture, equality in the tech industry, and more. This week's guest is someone I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. Whether you've watched her LinkedIn videos, read her articles, or simply recognise her signature bright green hair. It's the one and only Goldie Chan, aka the Oprah of LinkedIn, a contributor at Forbes, a global WeWork brand ambassador, producer and entrepreneur. Is there anything Goldie can't do? You can find out in this really fun and interesting chat I had with her a few weeks ago, when Goldie told me about her career path, what it's like to fail as an entrepreneur, her love of Harry Potter, her tips for creating video content, and how she deals with trolls on social media. Here's our conversation. Um, so one question I like to ask people at the beginning, because I always find this really interesting, is as a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? So as a kid, I really wanted to be a teacher. So I was yeah, okay. so excited about um, helping and teaching others. And I think that was the first inklings of my interest in building communities, actually. Mm. That's really interesting because I guess that makes sense now given that you do a lot of teaching and um, in all your social media videos and I know you've done courses and stuff and also a lot of people in the social media space I found have either worked in teaching or academia in some respect. Yeah I think it's really interesting that overlap between wanting to teach and also doing really interesting social media and once yeah. again building more on the community side, I think those people tend to want to always teach and share what they're doing because you cannot learn. (laughs) You just cannot learn about social media in an isolated bubble. I mean, that's the whole point is social media. Exactly. So true. Um, So yeah, I know you studied, um, you know, speaking of academia, I know you studied at Stanford, you're doing science, and then you continued working in the university afterwards. But rather than pursuing a career in academia, you then launched your own clothing line. So I'd love to hear about that kind of decision to take your career in a different direction and like what you learned from starting your own business. Sure. So, you know, I when I graduated from Stanford, I was already a published geneticist and I had a couple of job offers, um, a couple of career tracks, right? And Mm -hmm. when you first graduate from college, you think, okay, whatever this next thing I take, that's the rest of my life. That defines the rest of my life. And (laughs) it's always interesting when I meet people and they've had five or six careers in their lives, right? And I think all of us have more than one career, usually speaking. Um, or at least it's a side hustle in our lives. So when I graduated, I had already been doing a fashion line on the side while I was in college. I was doing quite a few things on the side. Um, And I decided just to go in fully and do my fashion line because I thought, you know what? 
I can always get another job. I can mm-hmm. always, you know, I can fail at this after a year <laughs> and then I can always go back and just get a nine to five job doing something. Yeah. So I, I did fashion for a couple of years and a big box store approached me and wanted to put my fashion line. And I'd also been covering New York Fashion Week at the time. Um, and a big box store came and they were like, great, we'd love to maybe do a trial with you. And so I, I was like, oh shoot, now I need to really scale because I had just mm-hmm. been in boutiques all over the US, but that's very different than being in a big box store. And I looked for a business partner and I couldn't find the right person to partner with because I didn't want to give up creative control, but I wanted that person to really to handle all of the business decisions. And there was nobody who wanted to handle the business decisions without taking a large chunk of creative control. Yeah. Uh, and so I did what any uh, brilliant 22 year old does, which is I completely gave up. No. <laughs> I, I folded up shop. I was just like, life is over. Hmm. Um, I really, I moped. I think moping is probably the best word for that. <laughs> and, and I watched a lot of Law and Order SVU <laughs> and HGTV, which is a home and garden channel. So a lot of how to redecorate your home. And I had some weird <laughs> dreams at the time. I was also <laughs> playing a lot of this game called The Sims. And if you're not familiar, The Sims is where you have these human-like avatars yeah. and you make them, you know, go earn money, interact with others. And I remember my friends came over and my Sim is literally lying. She's lying on the floor, <laughs> crying, refusing mm-hmm. to do work, you know, refusing yeah. to do anything. And they just looked at me and they're like, can you not see <laughs> how this is you right now? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm not crying. And they're like, oh my gosh, you just please just get a job, you know, get a job doing anything just to really get out of the house. Yeah. So, um, so then I got my first nine to five job a couple years after a lot of my peers had already been working in their, you know, their perfect <laughs> career trajectory nine to five job for, for a while. So I already felt so behind because mm. everybody else felt like they were moving along the path they should. And I was like, I have no idea what my path should be. And I got my first job and it was in marketing. Mm -hmm. And because I was the youngest person on the team, they're like, you should handle this thing. It's called social media. (laughs) (laughs) You should handle the Facebooks. Um, You you should handle our (laughs) blog. And so I learned really quickly trial by fire how to do social media because no one else on the marketing team wanted to touch it with a 10 foot pole. So I really quickly got into social media and that's, that's really how I started my career in social media was, uh, both a happy accident and also my computer avatar lying on the floor and crying. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. And I call it a friend intervention is what happened. <laughs> that's such a good word. I'm definitely going to be using that word. Yeah. I, th- I think that happens to kind of a lot of people in this business, you know, because it's only really a few years that the social media industry has existed. So I think a lot of people did fall into it and are now just kind of, it's all been a baptism of fire, but you know, you make a go of it. Um, but it's also kind of interesting what you're saying about feeling really demoralized after your first business didn't work out the way you'd hoped because it's always going to be a huge risk 
And I think, you know, it's when you start a business, it's like your baby and you're so passionate about it. Um, but it's really difficult, especially when it's something creative to actually make it into a scalable business. Um, so I think maybe people need to realize it's kind of okay to fail. Yes. Yes. And I think most people don't know just how (laughs) okay it is to fail because we want to be, we want to be successful, right? We want to look successful in front of our peers. Like I said, I had two years in, which now I laugh, I look back and I laugh at it, but two years into my career, I was like, game over. I'm so far behind everyone else. I'll never be able to catch up. And now I look back at that and I laugh so hard because <laughs> there's so many of my peers who they had that successful career and they, they've also changed trajectory completely. Um, but if, if you want to talk about failure, I have to quote my favorite Walt Disney quote of all time, <laughs> Please um, do. which is, uh, I think it's important to have a good hard failure when you're young. I learned mm. a lot out of it because mm. it kind of makes you aware of what can happen to you. Yeah. And, and Walt Disney had, I don't think people understand how many failures he had. I mean, he constantly failed by the, t- <laughs> by the yeah. time he got to making the character of Mickey Mouse, he had had some really epic, like bankruptcy type failures yeah. in his life. Um, and, and he only made Mickey Mouse because he had gotten screwed out of a business deal with his character at the time, which was the most popular cartoon character of that era. And mm. so, you know, the, the studio that had made the deal with him, they're like, you'll never do anything as popular as, and the character was Oswald Dorothy Rabbit. They're like, you'll never do anything as popular as Oswald. And he's like, watch me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cool. I didn't know the backstory behind that actually. But yeah, Yeah. and it's true, isn't it? I think a lot of um, the true visionaries are kind of written off as being ridiculous or crazy and they're actually the ones who succeed. Um, So it's always inspiring hearing about people like that. And I, I mean, I look at kind of business leaders I admire, like, you know, speaking of fashion, like someone like, someone like Sofia Amoruso, who yes. founded um, Nasty Girl, and now she's, and that went, she went bankrupt, and now she's doing something completely different. And I think, I would say that's probably part of being an entrepreneur. I don't know if you agree, it's being able to kind of adapt and continually have those new ideas. Yes, and I think that adaptation is really what defines you is mm. when you have a big failure, and, I, and I've had other failures in my life, but that one's always funny to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I think how you get up from failure, how you really pick yourself up, dust yourself up, and, and are not discouraged by failure, that really defines you. And also how you how you build your community or how you build your tribe around yourself. So when you do have a failure, as failure is inevitable for all entrepreneurs, yeah. <laughs> you will you will just be in such a healthier place because you won't be isolated. You won't be spiraling. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's actually really important and people overlook that mental health aspect of being part of a community that will support you. Yeah. So how have you kind of built up those communities? Like, is that sort of online communities in real life, both? Sure. So it's so interesting. So over the past year and a half, and I know you've witnessed this, 
I've built a community around myself. Now, prior mm-hmm. to that, <laughs> I've built communities for brands. And usually what I've been doing is, you know, I'm making these safe spaces for those very distinctive communities, whoever they are, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think when you're when you're just building a community around a person now, that's what I'm doing now around me. Mm. It's so interesting because it's, first of all, uh, if people have issue with the community, it's not just, they have an issue with the brand Nike, right? They have an issue with me, Goldie. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a very different feeling that you get at first. And, And to be totally honest, I didn't necessarily handle it really well in the first few months when I was starting to get trolls. Mm. And, um, and I've dealt with trolls in the past in my work, but I've never dealt with this number of trolls, um, to myself, to directly to, to me. And I think when I was trying to build a really healthy, supportive community, I really tried to eliminate those trolls and I, but I also tried to address them. And if people seem like they were really intent, you know, sometimes I would actually private message them and say, Hey, it seems like something is going on. Do you want to talk about it? You know, what's going on? Just to help diffuse some of that anger and some of that rage. And sometimes I think people don't always come across as the way they mean to. So I'll get these very intense comments that seem like hate mail. And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes I'll just respond with, hey, I know you're incredibly passionate about for example, subtitling. (laughs) (laughs) And and I know that this video isn't subtitled and you're upset at that, but what are resources that we can all share around subtitling, right? I try to turn these negative comments, these anger comments that are directed at me into positives that we can share as a community. Yeah, that I was actually going to ask you exactly about that because I think I was watching an interview you did with Unlearn and you were talking about that. And I guess it is a an unfortunate side effect of building an online pleasant presence is that not everyone's going to be nice and you inevitably encounter negative comments and haters. So I guess you're kind of using the kill it with kindness method. Um, and so do you think it is better to engage with people rather than just ignoring them? I think there's, so there's levels. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously if I get hate around the fact that I'm, for example, a woman or that yeah. I'm Asian or any of these factors that really they're just choosing something to yell at me about, then there's nothing I can do about that. And those, those pieces I choose to ignore mm. because there's no reason to engage. But like I said, if it's something about subtitling, that's something that we can talk about as a community. And I don't mind engaging in that conversation. Um, but I think that there's levels and I think also to engage with every single one of your trolls. Now that is truly exhausting and a waste yeah. of your time. Yeah. But I think to completely ignore every single negative comment, that to me also is a waste of community building because you have people who will jump on and let me tell you, it's sometimes funny how your strongest critics can become your strongest allies and advocates Mm -hmm. because they see how you talk to them as a person and most people won't do that and like I said some people come across and it can be because they just don't know how to interact online and I know that um, some of my followers are actually autistic yeah I've had this conversation with them in person where 
you know, I know what's, I can tell in person what's going on. And so when I see them comment online and other people are like, Hey, that's inappropriate. I know what's going on because I've interacted with that fan in person, or we've had a call. And so I tend to be a lot more lenient on that as well, because I, I, you know, I'm not maybe privy to that, but I understand how difficult it must be to not be understood. Yeah, of course. And it, and it is really difficult. Sometimes you can completely misinterpret what someone says online. You know, you can't convey the same tone that you might be able to in real life. And I think there is this kind of culture now of like really like overanalyzing everything everyone yeah. says online and putting people on pedestals. And then the minute they do something slightly wrong, it's like they're a terrible person, which of course isn't true. You know, we're all no. human. And <laughs> we're all human, yeah. right? I mean, most of us are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, looking at your CV, I'm not sure you are human, Goldie, because it's <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> I, I know. I always made the joke that I'm, I'm Cylon, which is a super <laughs> nerdy sci-fi reference about humanoid uh, robots that regenerate. <laughs> Um, so they're never exhausted. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I've and seen And that's a little bit that. me, though, so. <laughs> no, that's cool. But yeah, so speaking of your career, um, one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, when you do look at your career on paper, um, I was like nosing around your LinkedIn profile. Um, you've kind of started off, um, I think you started off doing writing, community marketing, um, and then moving more into sort of social media strategy, heading up some major companies, um and alongside that you've done consulting producing you've co-founded a business um you're one of linkedin's top voices a global WeWork ambassador and now a contributor at forbes um so i'd love to know obviously you know you said you fell into social media marketing but from that point onwards how much of this journey has been deliberate like are you the type of person who consciously sets goals and builds a career or does it kind of happen more organically I'd love to say that when I was 22 and just started on this path, that I absolutely knew I would be here, right? That this was a strategic choice that I made. Um, Quite honestly, it is in my temperament to be strategic when I know what it is that I want. Mm. (laughs) But I I have to say, I did not know. First of all, let's just throw this all out here. I did not know that in a year I would be writing for Forbes, that yeah. I would be LinkedIn top voice, um, and that I would be a global ambassador for WeWork. I did not know that that these things would happen in the course of 365 days. Mm. So <laughs> that was not a game plan that I had. And if you had asked me three or four or five years ago, Uh, did I think that I would be writing for Forbes, I would be laughing so hard because (laughs) I would, I would just feel like that's impossible. Why would they want me to write for them? Right. Um, So for me, it's been, it's been such an interesting journey because I started doing social media. I got assigned it. And then I worked in house at a bunch of tech startups where they just kept assigning me to do it because I was the best person on the team to do it. And I learned so quickly just to you know stick with it keep doing it and that's a little bit how i developed my career and i think that there's always things that you're naturally drawn to so whenever i tried to leave social media so as you saw i'm also a producer so 
I spent mm-hmm. a bit of time actually away from social media where I produced an award-winning show. Oh, cool. And, um, and now I'm in the Producers Guild. So I'm one of the, the youngest women of color in the Producers Guild. Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, and I think one of the interesting things is when I stepped away from social media, it just drew me back. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that happens with some of us with entrepreneurship too, right? Like mm-hmm. we start a company, it fails, which happens to a lot of first timers. And then you say never again. And then you see the same people three to four years later, new company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And then new company and then new company. Uh, and I think that there's, you know, I love Alice in Wonderland. I think that there's a certain level of madness that you naturally have for building things so that you become an entrepreneur so that you are so uh, naturally drawn to certain things. And for me, that social media, um, as much as I love to sometimes leave it because it can be incredibly frustrating to work in social media because mm-hmm. it moves a mile a minute. Um, and that's what I both love and hate about it. I think it's so interesting that the moment I always try to leave, it draws me back because there's always things that interest and excite me. Yeah. And I think the moment that social media stops doing that, that's when I'll likely leave. But I don't foresee that happening with social media anytime soon. Yeah, neither do I. But um, I think you're right. You can kind of catch that bug. Um, but you said something there. You sort of have a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media. And something I'm trying to figure out at the moment is we talk so much about the um, negative side of tech and you know being glued to our phones and being on social media all the time but I mean how are you supposed to kind of manage that if it's your job like for example you know I'm sometimes jealous of some of my friends one of my friends she's a vet at the Royal Veterinary Hospital uh, in London and Mm -hmm. (laughs) she is on Facebook once a month yeah literally once a month because I and I'll know because I will post maybe a bunch of pictures of her and then once a month I get five likes yeah (laughs) and I know that's her once a month check-in that she's doing on Facebook but when you're working in social media you have to be on it all the time there's no choice I can't choose to be on Facebook once a month I have clients that I work with or strategy that I'm just doing in general and you can't ever leave. And that's what I think is truly exhausting about it because it's it's a stream that you have to stay plugged into. Because the moment you step away from that stream, the moment you step out of that stream, you are no longer relevant. Yeah. And you no longer know what's relevant. And I think one of the things that's been so interesting about delving so deeply into LinkedIn is I've we've all been on LinkedIn for you know probably at least a couple of years, maybe more. And I've been on LinkedIn almost since its inception, but I've never spent so much time (laughs) on LinkedIn except over the last year and a half. And the more you get into a certain platform on social media, the more you really delve in, you start seeing everything that's happening. You start seeing micro trends, you start seeing all this stuff. And I noticed that as I'm spending more and more time say on LinkedIn, I'm spending significantly less time on on Facebook and these other platforms I used to spend much more time on. Mm. Uh, And that's the nature of it is we have limited capacity for social media. So if anyone tells you that they can be on every platform all the time, all day long, 
They can't. They probably have a team yeah. that's feeding them trends, that's feeding them information. Because no human can possibly be on every platform 24-7. It's also yeah. deeply unhealthy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. No, but I think you're right. You do have to, I mean, let's say even if you're not really building a personal brand and you're working for another company, you've still kind of got to use it personally just so that you know what's going on because obviously they're the kinds of behaviours and interactions amongst just friends are the stuff that will feed into um, brands and how businesses use social media because it's first and foremost about being social. So yeah, it is, yes. it is a really interesting question, I think, for people who work in this industry. And I do feel you, like you're kind of, I'm kind of jealous of those people who are like, I'm doing a digital detox or like, I don't use Facebook anymore. I know whenever somebody says I've deactivated Facebook and all, you know, 300 of my friends are sad. I'm like, I'm first of all, sad that you can have Facebook with only 300 friends. Um, (laughs) Sad as in, I'm like, I'm jealous of that because it would be great to have a feed that clean. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, um, no, it is interesting. So, um, another question I'd love to ask actually is you kind of have all of these different strings to your bow like how do you explain what you do like if you meet someone for the first time and you describe they ask you what you do how would you put that into one sentence gosh it's really tough I mean I do so as you know I do so many things and I think it depends on the context in which I meet them yeah so for example if they are not at all familiar with social media, um, then I'll say, you know, I write and create video content and I have an agency and I keep all the words and the name brands and the everything out of it. And people generally understand that, right? They're like, okay, you run your own business and then you write and create videos. I'm like, yes. And then if they're a little bit more familiar with social media, if they're very familiar with social media, then I'll say, Hey, I, have the longest running video channel on LinkedIn. And I also write for Forbes and I run a social media strategy agency, right? I add in all the adjectives and the name brands. And those are usually the ones that I'll, I'll say first. Um, but obviously if I'm talking to somebody about say co-working, then I'll talk about my work with WeWork. Or if I'm talking to somebody about, you know, remote working, I'll talk to them about my partnership with Skype. Um, it just really depends on what context I meet them in and what I think would be relevant and helpful for them to know. It would, it would definitely be easier if I could just say, hi, I'm Goldie. And I just do this one single simple thing. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think any of us can really say that. I think uh, increasingly people are having these kind of multi-hyphenate careers and doing lots of different things. So yes, yeah, you have to work out how to distill it and who to say what to. Um, so you're known as the Oprah of LinkedIn and your videos have <laughs> 2 million views and counting, which is insane. Um, and your early videos were on pop culture branding and you do your walk and talks around theme parks and other fun places which at the time must have been something completely different on what's always been regarded as the more kind of stuffy professional social network. So what inspired you to create those videos in the first place and why did you choose LinkedIn? Sure. So 
first of all, I'll correct you. I'm actually almost at 4 million views, which is absolutely bananas. I'm Um, pretty sure I like read that figure really recently as well. So that's so cool. Four million. You know, been climbing so quickly, but why did I choose LinkedIn? So I had just left a head of marketing position at a social analytics startup and I'm in Los Angeles time, which is PST and it was in York time, which is EST. And I was exhausted. Yeah. So I got into the LinkedIn video beta and I thought, I just want to do videos that no one will watch that exists on this platform because people aren't looking for videos on LinkedIn. So I'll make the kind of videos I like. They're not for clients. They don't have, they actually don't necessarily have a strategy behind them because they're simply what I enjoy. And what Mm -hmm. I enjoy is pop culture branding, which is why my first video was at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, where I have a season pass and I go there an insane amount. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. I'm very jealous. I love Harry Potter. I know. I love, (laughs) love, love Harry Potter. And, um, and, you know, I talked about the metrics and the brand identity behind Harry Potter and some of the lore. Uh, behind the brand and all of this stuff, I, I personally genuinely find it really fascinating mm. and interesting. And um, and I started doing these videos on LinkedIn and I started doing one, then I did two. And I never thought, first of all, I would hit a year, 365 consecutive videos and now I'm close to 500 consecutive daily videos. I've never missed a single day. Um, and I've been personally uploading them all myself yeah. uh, for the most part. And, um, and I think what was interesting is I kept doing videos, I kept doing videos. And then about video 10, LinkedIn messages me and I, you know, I've worked in tech for a while, but I actually didn't know anybody who worked at LinkedIn. And, um, a couple of random people started messaging me and they're like, Hey, we're watching your videos. Your videos are weird. (laughs) And And they're like, this is not at all what we intended the LinkedIn video uh, platform for, you know, not in a bad way, but just like your videos are just so weird. Yeah. Can we talk to you? So I went and I talked with LinkedIn and they're like, we just want to keep an eye on you. And I was like, Oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and, and I just kept, you know, I was like, I kept videos. I was like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do 20. That's a lot of videos, but you know, I think maybe I'll just try doing 20. So I got to 20 consecutive daily videos. And then I was like, you know what, I should probably stop. I should probably stop soon. And I think around 50 daily consecutive videos, um, Jeff Weiner, who's the CEO of LinkedIn pulled up one of my videos as an example of these are interesting things that people are doing with LinkedIn videos. So he pulled up my video in a keynote, which was insane, absolutely insane. Um, and then I was like, well, maybe I should try for hundred. You know, I, I hit 50, I can do it around mm. video 90. It was Halloween. I was super sick. So I'm lying that I'd of course, you know, religiously uploaded my daily video already for that day and then just went and passed out. And I started getting all these texts, I started getting these mm. texts and people were like, you need, you need check LinkedIn right now. And I'm like, oh no, something exploded. Um, (laughs) what happened that's so terrible that I need to check LinkedIn right at this moment. And the head of video, Peter Roybal, who's a sweetheart, he had dressed up as me for Halloween. He had bought a green wig. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And he had had been me. So in the video team in New York, there exists a Goldie costume. Like they had made (laughs) a fake frame 
that looks like the frame when you <laughs> shoot on your mobile phone for LinkedIn video. And he just wrote, thank you to Goldie Chad and all of our other <laughs> LinkedIn creators. And I was the only person he called out, mm. right? And I thought that was, you know, bananas and, uh, and actually I think about 10 videos later, because now I count my life in LinkedIn videos <laughs> about 10 videos later, I had, I was visiting New York for a, some client work. So I stopped by the video team, said, hi, we did a couple of gifts and, um, and I have, you know, one of the only official gift pages, LinkedIn is partnered with Tenor Gifts. So I have one of the mm. only official pages as a LinkedIn influencer with Tenor. And now oh, cool. I think those gifts have close to 2.5 million views. So oh, when you wow. search for LinkedIn quite a few times, you might see my face, which is insane brand identity. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward. And I think one of the things that happened is I just kept doing it. So yeah. I just kept doing it. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get to 200, got to 200. There's no way I'm going to get 300, got to 300. Then I'm like, well, at 300, that's easy. Now I know I can get to 365. Yeah. <laughs> and then I hit 365. Um, and then I did a bit of a party in, in Dallas about my 365th video because I'm always all over the US all the time, even though I live in Los Angeles. Mm. And it's so funny because I did a 365 party and then I was talking to LinkedIn, we talked very regularly. And the video team's like, we should really do a one year anniversary party. And I was like, we should. <laughs> so I helped uh, officially host the LinkedIn one year video anniversary party um, and pulled in some you know, community members and they got us really adorable blue cupcakes um, and, you know, and I visited LinkedIn in London when I went as part of the mayor of London's delegation. And I've now visited LinkedIn in Toronto just two weeks ago. And I'm, I'm hoping at some point, maybe this coming year to go to LinkedIn in Dublin, if it works out. Uh, and it's, it's been a really interesting video journey for me. Like I said, I'm coming up on 500 videos and everybody always asks me, you know, when I'm going to stop. Yeah. And I, I quite frankly, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and since I'm only 30 or so videos away from 500 at the point of when we're, we're recording this podcast, I'm likely going to just hit 500. Um, and then we'll see what, what happens. But I think that's the interesting thing about daily videos is you start doing it. And if you don't stop, you just have an incredibly insanely long streak of daily videos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds quite like it's quite addictive, but also if you're enjoying it, I mean, why stop? I guess if you reached a point where you didn't enjoy it anymore, then. Right. Maybe. And there's, there's definitely, you know, <laughs> I would say about a fifth to even 25% of those daily videos, they're really exhausting to do. Yeah. And I uh, edit myself a lot of the times um, and I'm uploading, like I said, myself. And it's really exhausting when you're traveling and I travel a lot. Um, when you're traveling and you have to remember to upload a daily video in the right time zone, yeah. <laughs> the right time um, to make sure that you don't miss that 24 hour cutoff in say, you know, Pacific time. Mm. and um it's it's been a really interesting journey but yeah now I think I'm used to it it's a little bit like I take vitamins every day it's almost like me taking vitamins every day every day I release a video now and so yeah. I'm always prepared to do a video that day 
Speaking of social media videos, this week we published a fantastic blog post by guest author William Harris on nine low-budget ideas for social media videos that will boost your engagement. William is one of the top e-commerce experts in the world, and coincidentally, he's also a friend of Goldie, so it's fitting we should be mentioning his post here. Video can be a really intimidating form of content to get your head around, but William's post proves that you don't need a huge budget, fancy equipment, or an Oscar-worthy script to create effective videos for social media. To check out these creative and actionable ideas, head to blog.hu.co. Back to Goldie. How do you keep coming up with ideas if you're doing daily videos? You know, it's tough. Um, it's really, really tough to come up with video ideas every single day. My first 50 videos were just on that first topic I said, which was pop culture branding. I did these things I called hashtag walk and talks, mm. where I literally would walk and then talk about Harry Potter or the history of trains um, or, or street art posters. And I had 50 very shaky videos <laughs> as my as my first 50 daily videos. But for those, it was super easy. I would just, I would be in an Uber. So I talk about the history of ride sharing. I'd be at a train station. So I talk about the history of trains in the US and the UK and France. Um, I would, you know, anytime I saw something that looked like it had history behind it, it was really easy for those first 50 videos to do them just kind of on the spot or plan mm -hmm. it out that, okay, I want to do a video about, you know, say the last bookstore, which is a beautiful bookstore in LA that has a ton of history. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think for subsequent videos after that, because I travel and I meet so many interesting people, I now have quite a few travel videos. Um, I talk a lot about, you know, I talked on occasion about mental health issues that I think are important to address. Um, and I do a lot of tips. So I do a lot of my videos. I like all my videos to be edutainment, which yeah. is educating and then entertaining um, at the same time. So people really feel like when they're watching my channel that they're getting something from it. It's not just me blogging for eight minutes about my feelings that are not relevant to the conversations we're all having, right? Mm. Um, and so I try to always have something to share. And I think there's always something to share. For example, on Thanksgiving, I asked people where they were, you know, Thanksgiving is U.S. holiday. I asked them, hey, are you in the U.S.? Where are you in the U.S.? And then what's your favorite food for this family-oriented tradition? And quite frankly, I put this video up. I didn't think very many people would respond to it because most people are at home with their family celebrating what I forget is most people are at home with their family and want to be distracted on their phone. Yeah, want to escape from their <laughs> so family. Actually, I got quite a few responses to it um, because people were, they were en route traveling to go visit their family. So they had time to check their LinkedIn. They saw my video and they responded to it. And um, mm. so I always try to create a space for people where they can feel that they're encouraged to engage, they're encouraged to share their opinion or their thoughts. Um, and weigh in because I think there's nothing more boring than video content that's one note that's me talking to you yeah. and it's it's the gospel truth and there's nothing that you can deny about it because it's you know it's absolutely the only thing that could possibly be right <laughs> yeah well I guess your your content has that kind of conversational aspect to it like even you know with the tours it's like you're 
but you're a tour guide and you're taking someone round. But I think what's really fascinating to me is that I've heard you talk about um, how you're more of an introvert and you used to be painfully shy. So how did that come about? Like of all content types, how did you end up choosing video and how did you overcome that shyness? So it's so funny. I am still an introvert, which most people don't believe um, (laughs) because I'm so outgoing on videos and I'm quite good with crowds and things like that. Mm. But, you know, I I heard this great definition of introvert, which is, you know, introverts get exhausted by time interacting with others. And it doesn't mean that they'll be bad at it. They just need a lot of time by themselves and to rejuvenate. And I spend a lot of time reading um, and a lot of time quietly consuming content or just quite frankly, quietly by myself alone mm. because I am an introvert, uh, and me being good at being in public and filming has nothing actually to do with my, my introversion, but my shyness, that is something I worked at. So when I was uh, younger, I was so painfully shy. And if mm. you were say a stranger who was in Starbucks with me, and then you'd say something and not, you know, not hitting on me or anything, but you just say something because you're a friendly stranger. I would probably just curl up into myself and shut mm-hmm. it down. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I say to teens when I go speak to teens a lot is to try this exercise, which is what I did for a whole year. So for a whole year, I forced myself to say something nice to a stranger every single day. Mm. And you know, the first few weeks I did it, I would say it, and then I wouldn't even wait for their response. <laughs> I would run away because it's so scary to talk to a stranger. It is terrifying when you're an introvert and you're very shy and you're worried about what other people think of you. Um, and I, you know, I did this for a year. And then after, you know, honestly, after a couple months, I started being able to wait for their, at least the response. Right. Mm. And that's a conversation because I'd say something, they'd say something back, like, thank you. (laughs) Or, you know, some continuing of that conversation. And I think about three or four months into this experiment, I was having these like two, three sentence, you know, back and forth with people. And that was so magical because for me, that was the moment in which I not lost all of my shyness, but I was able to see how I could get around my shyness. And this is definitely the exercise that I give shy people and introverts a lot, which is for two weeks, try talking to a stranger every single day. And if you don't know what to say, give them a compliment, right? Say, I love your shoes. I love your hair. Um, Your dog is so adorable, which is (laughs) really what I do. Talk to um, people with dogs. That's that's a good advice, I think. (laughs) People with dogs is so it's not scary because you're not usually even talking to that person about themselves. You're talking to that person about their pet, and so you it's one degree removed. It's so much less scary, and um, and I give this exercise to a lot of really painfully shy people because I was painfully shy um, with strangers, and. And I think it, it's something that does work because it forces you to get out there and you are forced to work through those feelings and those thoughts to say, no, they don't want to talk to you. No, um, you're not interesting because that's what's running. That's at least for me, that was the monologue that was running through my head when I couldn't talk to other people because I always thought, yeah. well, they don't want to hear what I have to say. And I think putting yourself on camera 
is a lot of that. And I, I regularly include clips from my first video I ever did on LinkedIn. And I'm so awkward in that video. I am so awkward and I'm, <laughs> I'm just talking for eight minutes and I have the time. I'm just kind of like, Oh man, I don't know what I'm doing at all. And, and I don't think people understand that to get to where I am today with the way I am on videos today, that also took time. Yeah. And that took me doing daily videos. And it's the same with, you know, podcasting as well, as I'm sure you have uh, colleagues and friends who are interested in getting into podcasting too. Podcasting is the same thing. It just requires repeated effort. And the same thing is true of writing. You yeah. know, just writing creating requires in repeated effort. Yeah. What? Just creating in general, I think that's, you know, yes. whatever it is, yes. I think. And I think because we're used to like, you know, we do live in a kind of time of instant gratification in a lot of ways. I think people and with social media, people see something and assume that it's really easy to get there, but it, everything does take time. And I guess that's been a kind of common theme, actually, in a lot of what you've said is like baby steps and perseverance. Um, and obviously you're very determined. You work really hard, very busy. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear just finally about your attitude to work-life balance. Um, I think I saw a Facebook post of yours recently and you said you didn't get any work done that day, but it was a really magical day, which I loved hearing because often we're fed the complete opposite by entrepreneurs and business leaders where they're kind of working around the clock. So I think it's really nice when people celebrate just some time away from work. Um, so I'm guessing self-care is important to you now, but do you think it's always been that way? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and That's I so. still struggle with self-care because yeah. when you are running your own business, which I do, um, along with creating daily video content and daily written content, um, it's really tough to do self-care because you mm. always, when you're leading a team, and that team is sometimes just you telling yourself to do work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is really tough to make yourself take time off. But it's yeah. also so deeply unhealthy to not take meaningful time off. And I don't mean, you know, going and hanging out with uh, friends or loved ones and then you're on your phone the whole time or on an iPad the whole time or on your Apple Watch the whole mm. time that is not taking time off, right? That's not healthy. Um, yeah. And I think to be healthy, you need time away from screens. And I can say this because I work in social media, you work in social media. Yeah. Uh, the most healthy time off is really shutting it off and stepping away from it and having meaningful human in-person mm -hmm. <laughs> interaction uh, with people that you love and that care about you because it's also very healing to do that. And I think being in front of screens all the time, it can be wonderful. And I have made so many beautiful friendships and connections because of the internet. But I think that the strongest friendships are still the ones and you know, connections and relationships are still the ones where we are engaged in person. We are connecting mm. in person. I guess the internet can be a great kind of starting point or like a good way of sort of topping up relationships, but it should just be an added bonus, not the entire relationship. Yeah, and I, I believe that it's it's pretty unhealthy to have all of your relationships exist 
only online because it is very lonely. And I don't think people talk enough about the loneliness of running your own business or the loneliness of being on social media all the time because you have, say, millions, say you're very popular and you have millions of friends online, but you have very few friends in person that you can rely on. That's very lonely and also unhealthy because we're we're meant to be in a tribe you know we're meant to hang out in person and talk to each other in person there's a reason why we still have there's a reason why you know they're dying out but there's a reason why we still have malls (laughs) and we still have movie theaters that people go to and we have eateries that are outside even though we have we have delivery services now we can watch netflix we do all these things that are not interacting with other people but we have these brick and mortar still because as humans we still crave that interaction because we need it yeah so so important um well I feel like I could ask you so many more questions and listen to you talk for ages um but it's time to wrap up now unfortunately so finally is there anything you'd like to plug at the moment like any projects you're working on Gosh, um, well, Probably everybody too many should to definitely from. follow my Forbes column. It's it's very, relatively new, and I talk about uh, personal branding and storytelling in the digital age. So it's absolutely wonderful. So please follow that. And of course, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, um, you're missing out. But yeah, <laughs> please follow me on LinkedIn, <laughs> and you can get to me at www.linkedin.com/in/goldie. We'll be back next week with another very special guest. And in the meantime, we'd love to hear your feedback. So please do rate, review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.